The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. Welcome to the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, offering insights, wisdom, and counsel from the most respected CEOs. Here is the host of the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. Uh, my guest today is Josh Harris, and Josh has a kind of quite interesting background. He ran the uh, real estate department at UCF and did outstanding work there then moved on to NYU and did outstanding work with their real estate department there, and now is the managing partner with the Lakemont Group, which does consulting work in the area of real estate. Josh, thanks so much for being here with us. It's my pleasure, John, and great to be here today. Thanks, man. It's always good to have you. I want to start off with, um, man, the real estate market uh, has been interesting, interest rates moving, and all these different kind of things happening. You've always had a great big picture perspective. Can you just tell us in your mind what's going on with the real estate market right now? It's a big picture. Well, it's a great question. And obviously with interest rates, you know, essentially skyrocketing by a lot of people's um, mental imaginations, everyone's, I think, probably paying most attention to, well, what a rate of returns going to be? Can we make money? Can we even get a loan? Which obviously a lot of banks, well, candidly, are hitting pause. And, you know, I do know of more anecdotal closing. So I actually, you know, one thing to take away is probably better than not. But, you know, what's financing going to be like is probably the biggest concern Second big concern is, well, where is the man going to go? Now, I'm sitting here in Florida. I've actually just moved back to Florida from New York, and I think I'm one of many people who knows how many thousands per week or per hour. We always hear these statistics. There's a big question about where people want to live, where do they want to work, and that is, I think, a, you know, it's an open-ended question mark, and I actually do think that cities that are more livable, that have, say, better hospitality impacts, we're not just talking about theme parks, places like Florida will do well. But I'm actually still bullish on New York City, believe it or not. I think that a lot of people want to be there. There's a cool factor and a headache factor. But those are the big questions that I think really are being people, where, what can I do with interest rates? And candidly, where and people are going to work and where do they want to live? So on that first one, on the financing part, would you say that like um, if the deal is right, the financing will get there? It's just if it's got more complications and then it makes it sort of a longer process. Is that accurate? I think that's pretty fair. You know, the, the biggest challenge right now that's probably stopping what we might call ordinary normal functioning of a market is that people just are unsure about pricing, right? So if, you know, nobody wants to be the lender or a buyer or even a seller candidly of something that, you know, is going to change wildly in price. Buyers don't want to buy and then watch it fall. Sellers don't want to actually sell too low, right? I mean, so that is keeping a lot of deals on the sidelines. But you know, in development deals, I've known personally several developers on the multifamily side who've executed loans that have closed in the last couple months. Mm -hmm. Not the most favorable terms, but they got the money. They're going to build the complex. They may not make as much money as they originally thought, but they're going to be a profitable deal that's going to provide housing. And by the way, housing shortage, that is a you know, that's a perennial problem and everywhere, the state of Florida and New York, God knows California. Well, yeah, we might get a little bit of an oversupply for a few months on apartments. That's what some people are afraid of. But, you know, candidly, if you're going to build housing of any type, you're probably going to do well and you're actually providing a needed service. So guess what? Lenders are still out there to bring the capital for that. It's really interesting. And on the demand side, it's geographic, right? Like it seems like like if you talk to me about a real estate market, if it's like, well, I've got a downtown Manhattan office tower, it's really, really scary times. But if I have a retail deal in Miami, it's not a scary time, right? So 
its product, and then it's also geographic, right? It's not completely fluid across the system. Is that accurate? Of course, John. We always, you know, I put my professorial hat on. We always call it, you know, the segmented markets, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so if you were, if you needed to rent a house in Orlando, well, I guarantee you didn't also consider a retail shop in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, right? right? You, uh, You only look where you're going. And even to that end, you know, you mentioned, you know, retail in Miami. Now, clearly Miami's getting a huge influx. So there's probably going to be a mass demand because more people means more shopping needs. Even in New York, you can't make such a sort of a, a broad brush even for office. Um, you know, office around the major train stations like Grand Central and Penn Station, a lot of demand because guess what? All people are, you know, if a company is going to be going to a three-day-a-week model, this hybrid work model, which is what everyone's talking about, well, minimizing that commute distance if more people live out farther is probably going to increase demand while those offices that were sort of out in the middle of, you know, way down Sixth Avenue or some things, they might struggle a bit more. So even within a market, you could see a lot of segmentation where some areas will probably do pretty well, maybe even get higher rents than they've ever seen, while others languish and some buildings candidly may just never recover just because of their um, general location or condition. It's just weird, man. So that's a lot. It's a lot of process. So the other thing you talked about when you, you said the word hospitality, right? So and, and you clarify this because some people might think, oh, you're saying hospitality like someone's going to go work in a hotel. Mm-hmm. What I took you to say is, because I think this is true in Central Florida, is that we have a greater population that has a generalized appro- um, appreciation for being hospitable, right? 100% does, does, does it true. make sense? It's like, and, we've talked about this, right? Yeah. So like if you just go to some parts of the country and you walk in and walk out, sometimes people hold the door for you, they don't, or they, they say good morning or they don't, or they whatever. But I think part of that, whether it's the Disney influence or whatever it is, there seems some to be a Southern charm. That southern charm. It's, yeah, there's some levels. That, you know, what's funny is I, I, I guest lectured at FSU last fall and I was struck because I, I did like four lectures in one day. How many times students held the door open for me? Like that was just so amazing to me. Like I, you know, in my mind, I would think, oh, students wouldn't care. But clearly there's some subcultural, whatever that is. And that does impact people's view of the world, right? Totally. And it's, you know, it. We get, what we're talking about is essentially how we look at quality of life. Mm. And, you know, that's a one of those things that we all deal with and live with, but we probably don't actually process or think about, right? But, yeah, somebody being nice to you at a store or just sort of common courtesy, even amongst people in traffic. And I'm not going to say that all the drivers in Central Florida are courteous because we right. both know that's not true. Right. You know, and in places like New York, where I you know, was living for the past uh, six years, it's not that people are necessarily mean. I think that it's just that, you know, they're very mission driven, right? So, you know, if you ever get on a subway, you ever go to New York, you know, a classic subway, certainly pre-coronavirus, but even now, I mean, you are literally maybe less than an inch practically touching people and everyone's got the same thousand yard stare. Why? Because I don't think it would function otherwise. If you actually were to start networking, you're talking to somebody on the subway, you'd be the weirdest person ever. Right. But yet I feel like in, in Florida, if I walk down a sidewalk and I'm, 10 feet away from a person and I don't wave, acknowledge, say hello, and might even strike up a conversation depending on the time and context. That's normal. In fact, it'd be really weird if I didn't acknowledge that person. But that's how this world functions. And I do think that some people are choosing where, you know, that's the biggest change now is that more people have the function of choice, right? More people can choose to be in Florida or Texas versus San Francisco or things like that. And well, the, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding in that there we're seeing these people, we're seeing greater inbound migration to most of these Sunbelt markets um, and, and a lot of rotational and out migration from some of the more classic, call it gateway coastal markets, however you want to call those. And you mentioned that cool factor, you know, there's that new uh, 
big eyeball in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, think, I saw the images. Right? That's amazing. Amazing. And so you think, oh, gosh, that would be cool to go see that. Or, you know, if, if you call me like, oh, man, John, I got this buddy. He's got an apartment in New York. He's out of the country for the month. Let's go up there. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you can see how that can be, totally. a, could be appealing, right? And, and, and of course, that, that sounds sort of maybe on that surface silly, but on a greater scale, it, it goes back to employers. You know, how yeah. do we get people back to the office and what do they value? And I think if they value coolness or relational or whatever that is, right? Well, it's a great point. Actually, you know, when we think about hybrid work or even AI helping us automate, we can be more efficient. That means we actually are all going to collectively have more leisure time, right? So cities that offer more things to do, and look, by the way, some of the, I mean, maybe this is by New York, Orlando, biggest things, Vegas, you mentioned it. Cities that have more leisure activity are going to just do better than cities that are, hate to say the word, boring. Right. Well, and, and uh, we, we don't want to insult the boring people, right? But but I get Love you. the boring people. Love the boring people. I'm a boring uncle to many niece and nephew. I like it. Um, Josh, we're going to take a quick break, but I want you to stay here because I want to ask you a little bit of question about your advice, your wisdom for for young people. Um, but I want to, the, the big takeaway I have from that our conversation real estate is like, it seems like a simple on the surface problem, but for us to deal with it, we're going to dive in a lot deeper. Like that's, there's some deep stuff that needs to be talked about. Oh, yes. So helpful. Okay. All right. This is the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. We'll be right back. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. Here's a call to those who want to make an impact on their company, their community, or who possess a desire to make the world a better place. Crossman Career Builders provides the tools and resources for you or your company to make a difference on some of the toughest issues that we all face. Crossman Career Builders partners with CEOs, politicians, and pastors seeking to address problems of racism, mental health, addiction, Justice and suicide. CrossmanCB.com. At JLL, we are reshaping the future of real estate for a better world. For over 250 years, our firm has remained committed to offering trusted and innovative solutions in commercial real estate leasing, management, investment strategies, and technology. JLL.com. See a brighter way. Once again, here's John Crossman. And we are back with my friend Josh Harris managing partner with the Lakemont Group. And Josh, one of the most interesting, a lot of interesting things about you, by the way, but one of the most interesting (laughs) things about you is like, you know, you were um, a young professor and then like a senior advanced professor and then running in a department and you've done it at UCF, you've done it at NYU. And so you've done it in different markets. And so you've had this perspective of working with really, really talented young people, right? On the other hand, due to the consulting work you've done, and you've worked with Fortune 500 companies, you've done some very impressive role in that space, you've had a lot of one-on-one connection with different CEOs. And one of my favorite local CEOs passed away a few years ago was uh, George Livingston. Oh, I loved him. A good dude. And and uh, what Christy was just saying, how, how he was such a big fan of yours. So you've had this perspective of like young rising stars, right? And then on their hand, CEO executives. So if I filled uh, the studio with a bunch of young that were like, we want to be big time 
uh, CEOs, and now you've had that perspective from both sides. What would you? What advice would you? What are, what are the traits? What are the things you say? Gosh, guys, you got to look at thing about blank to be a great CEO from Josh's brain. Well, that's a wonderful question, and you know it's very interesting. And I always, especially if it's to a young audience that is in college or approaching graduation, they always have so much anxiety and fear that I have to get the right job. I if I don't get that analyst position at you know like Blackstone, which like at, you know, at NYU, that was kind of their most coveted job ever, and you know, candidly, the students don't even know what that job actually is, but they right. just knew that they had to get it because their life would be golden. And, and look, if candidly, if you got it, your life was golden. But the majority of people won't get that job. And the truth is, it doesn't even matter if you got that job, because I had actually talked to the people who hated that job. And even though they were making like literally 200 grand as a 25 year old working like nearly 100 hours or quitting it after by year three, because it's so painful. Right. So what I would tell people is, you know, give yourself some latitude to move around. I think the best CEOs are the ones that have had maybe the most multitude and diverse experiences. I think part of my advantage, be it in consulting things that I've worked with various different companies, I've now worked in different markets. I think part of the credibility is that I've worked in different even industry sets within, mostly within real estate. But I think that those type of experiences are important. So, you know, appraisal, sometimes people, students, if we're talking in a real estate context, they don't, they low icky. They feel icky with appraisal. That's not what the cool kids are doing. Some of the most successful, rich real estate people I know, CEOs and other types, they actually started in appraisal because you actually learn the ground level of, of real estate, right? Doing leasing, leasing brokerage. John, you know that That's where, where, where I started. you started. Yeah. You know, you actually, you see property, you understand how business actually works. You see how deal making goes. Is that as sort of sexy, cool as the investment banker doing the billion dollar deals? Well, not not according to a lot of my students. But guess what? You learn some really good hardcore skills there. And that's what you build off of. So, I mean, your first job is probably not your last job. So you might as well get some diverse experience and just recognize that it's more important that you get in the game and play the game well, learn how to play it honestly, ethically, and, you know, diligently. You'll You'll get to where you're meant to go. If you do that. That is so interesting. It's funny. So what, what I hear you saying is, first off, I took away from that is uh, being open, right? Like just being open and that uh, there's lots of great paths. You know, the, Bob Selenik is the CEO of uh, CBRE, mm-hmm. which is the largest brokerage company yeah. in the world. He started out after having an MBA from Harvard as a leasing agent, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So I think you're right. And of course, if you learn how to lease, you can do anything. But if you're an analyst and all you do is hear about leasing, you're, 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 you're projecting numbers, but you've never been on the front line. Mm-hmm. It's, you're it's, nailing a right, big right. pet. You're you're hitting on something important. One of the things that I, I actually candidly think this creates even some risk on um, capital markets and just other things in real estate is that so many, you know, people in real estate come from a very financial side and they they maybe they had one real estate course in college, but they get into it or they're in you know these banks that, that move into it, big private equity groups. And you know, they, they treat real estate like blips on a screen, just like a Bloomberg terminal, right? Like, but they kind of, and that kind of works with stocks and managing a stock portfolio does not work with managing property and, you know, getting out on the ground level, I hate to say get, you know, somebody might get some dust on your shoes and you have to actually, you know, walk around a building and assess it is so important. And it is a skill that's being lost a bit that I think that, you know, that analyst has been grunting spreadsheets and PowerPoint templates for 80 hour, 80 to hundred hours a week, but never actually gets to see the property. You gotta get promoted two or three times before you're allowed to go put be put on an airplane to see a plane, you know, for two hours to go see the property. I do think you might be losing something. Listen, I, the one of the things I see when I see a site plan on a property and it's got a drawing of a small shop space and it's 1,800 square feet. And I'm always like, that's the wrong size. People are like, how, does, how do you know it's the wrong size? 900 square feet at least, 1,200 square feet, 1,500 square feet, 1,800 won't lease. 
It won't lease because if you're a mom and pop business and it's like mom and dad are in the business and maybe they got one kid working for them, that extra space has to be managed and clean and it messes up the model. So the, the kids sitting in New York City, putting that space at $30 a square foot, I'm like, no, 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 it's not leasable, right? But you wouldn't know that if you were in the front lines, right? Absolutely. One of my other favorite stories is one of the deals that kind of helped kind of change my perspective on the world was I was walking on a property. It was in the Dr. Phillips area. And I saw this guy, he was an Asian guy. And he was looking in a space, really quiet. And I said, can I help you? And he, and he said he was trying to lease space. And so he was Japanese and his wife was um, Japanese, but American. And mm-hmm. she spoke more English than he did. And so she actually negotiated the deal. And when we got the deal done, and by the way, that tenant was one of my favorite tenants. I had so much sushi at that place. I, you know, I had my birthday party there and stuff. I just loved that tenant. She told me after I got the deal done that he had called the previous leasing agent and the leasing agent said, um, oh, Chinese or Japanese, we're a Chinese restaurant, same thing. Wow. Yeah. Which, and, and yeah. And so to me, it's like when you're a frontline lease agent in retail, you, you learn the difference between all kinds of ethnicities. Mm-hmm. And of course that does impact that the analyst performer, right? Totally. You have to understand these differences. Well, and this is an interesting, you know, somewhat crossover both between career and real estate. You know, so right now there's probably the most fears in the office sector, certainly if you read the news. Right, right. Truth be told, office is likely going to go through what retail kind of went yeah. through in the sense that, okay, there's going to be some change in the models. Some properties are actually be worth way more than they ever were. And some will be less. And then it's a matter of management to sort of, you know, pull your, if you're, if you're an owner, pull it over. Well, if you're starting out a career, you know, I mean, I, and candidly look to the office sector is one of the areas I, I hope to do more consulting work, certainly because I think there's, there are challenges or big decisions to be made. I would tell anybody who's trying to, to plot out a career, don't just go what to what's hot or kind of, you know, in vogue at the moment. Look to solve challenges. Oh, it's so smart. Office has challenges. And, you know, I always look at it and say, well, you know, I've got a fire extinguisher, so I'm going to go look for smoke because mm-hmm. there's smoke, there's fire, and there's profit to be made in that. And I think that, you know, in today's cycle, that's something where everyone, you know, when people are running out, that's a time to run in. And, you know, I mean, I think Warren Buffett, one of the, um, you know, great investors, lots of things, but, you know, he says, be fearful when people are greedy, be greedy when people are fearful, right? I mean, there is always that flip over. And if you think about a career that way, that perhaps I'm going to look for the area that that, that opportunity, boy, there's something about it. It's not as great. You know, UCF, my first job there, right, that got me going. I was a PhD student. They said, and they had this, you know, but it was 09 budgetary problems. They wanted to create this new class for the NAOP challenge, the big case study thing, which has now become a major. I mean, the students that come through are the most some of the most successful students that UCF produces in the real estate um, you know, program. They didn't have anyone to teach it. They didn't have any extra money to pay the faculty. They said, so they said, Josh, you're a first-year PhD student. You've, you know, you've done some work in financing. Would you want to teach this course and like they're going to, they pay me the same. They just changed my allocation. I said, well, okay. And I'm like 25 years old and I'm going to like teach students that are 23 and 24 years old. <laughs> Some of my, I made still great friends with that. And because I took that opportunity, it went, well, actually George Livingston, who I remember was one of the initial judges and at the final big night, um, that helped launch my whole career and why they UCF ended up hiring me. Right. But that was a, that was like the dog scrap, you know, um, opportunity that I was being given. That was kind of like, it kind of made you. It, it was my it was a launching point for my career at UCF. That is awesome. That is awesome. You know, well, the other thing I heard you say that I really felt was I hear you saying choose experience over choosing fear. That's a cool thought. Yep. That's a cool, cool thought. Well, Josh, um, thanks, buddy. I, th- I appreciate you so much because 
uh, you've been a dear friend and you've been a leader in the industry and you've also influenced so many people and you're still doing it. So thanks for all that you're doing. I appreciate it. I greatly appreciate our friendship and the opportunity to come speak. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back with our final segment. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. At JLL, we are reshaping the future of real estate for a better world. For over 250 years, our firm has remained committed to offering trusted and innovative solutions in commercial real estate leasing, management, investment strategies, and technology. JLL.com. See a brighter way. Once again, here's John Crossman. We are back. This is John Crossman, the Crossman Conversation CEO Edition. I'm here with Mike Gillen, my boss. Hey, I'm not your boss. <laughs> not your CEO. Either. You're, the, you're, you're the boss. You're a boss. You know? <laughs> That's funny. Listen, um, man, Josh Harris, professor, yeah. doctor, Josh yeah. Harris, right? Yeah. And you think about him, first off, think about him being a professor at 25 years old and launching something. That just blew my mind right there. With 25 years old, teaching students a year younger than he was. Yeah. And like he said, it was his launching pad. And you, we never know, do we? I mean, right. we really never know those opportunities, how they're going to impact our lives. Yeah. And and I loved it when you talked about seeing the smoke, like I got a fire extinguisher where I'm looking for smoke. Like, yeah. I thought that was such a cool analogy. And, and to say that to a young professional Hey, look at the world and think about their problems. And, and and to this point, today's world, everyone's talking about how bad the office market is. We know sometimes someone who's twenty one and has no fear and they they don't know enough to be afraid, right? Mm-hmm. That might be the exact person. It's like, hey, have we ever thought about putting pickleball in an office building, or you know, or just they come with some big idea and maybe it's the idea, right? Yeah, they have no preconceived things, and so that energy, that positivity, that's that that can be really a part of the solution, right? It really is, and you know, I thought about. This I get to be a fly in the wall in this discussion and just listen to these, what I consider to be great minds in this real estate business, but I never really thought about it until I heard you guys talking about it, the importance in knowing your audience, the, your leasers, importance in knowing the business. And, you know, you're right, a Chinese restaurant is not the same as a <laughs> Japanese no, restaurant. Not. Well, and so, and, and to take, so take that further, when he was talking that poison on the financing side, right? He was saying that, hey, lending is an issue, except when it's not, right? Because it's complicated. And so when people make the statements like real estate market's bad, you can't get a loan, that's sort of true. Mm-hmm. And, and except for that fact, you can still seek out solutions, right? Yeah. And then when he was talking about that cool factor, I, I, again, like, Going deep into the, what's the impact of Central Florida? Well, we really understand customer service. That's a lifestyle thing. But being in a major market, that's got a cool factor. Like, mm-hmm. that was really interesting. And when he made the comment about boring, again, and we're sort of joking about yeah. it, like that being offensive. But y- you you could be small market middle America and be interesting, right? Like that's right. You could be Omaha. You could be Spokane. You could be someplace and say, hey, you know what? We got this vacant office building and we're going to put in blank. You know, we're going to put in something in here that no one else in the country is doing and make it really interesting. Yeah. Right. Whatever that is. But then Pete will be talking about, man, you hear what that company's doing out there and, you know, wherever. And uh, maybe it's this cutting edge thing. Right. I agree. And Orlando has to have the cool factor. 
Right. It, I mean, if there's a community around. I also liked what he said about New York City, having just moved back there from six years of living in, in this city. My daughter lived there for a couple of years. And, you know, what we've heard recently, I mean, he had an, an interesting perspective that there's still a cool factor there in spite of the things that's gone on. So that was good news because there's a lot of people that uh, would love to still visit New York City. And well, you know, it's funny. I, I've i gone to New York a lot, more for business than for, you know, vacations, but done that too. I've loved my trips to New York. I, I have had so many positive experience and great customer service experience. Now, again, I'm sort of heavy relational and maybe where I'm at geographically, I don't know, but there's been a lot of good things going there on mm-hmm. there too. But you got to be intentional, right? That's and it's right. also knowing the culture. Like, I don't try to have a conversation with somebody in the subway. I take Josh's advice on that. That's right. Except yeah. I have one quick story on that. We were in New York City on vacation, and these four gentlemen came in, and they were like a quartet singers, and they were singing something, you know, they're passing out in the subway. And my daughter had just turned 16, and so I looked at them, and I said, can you sing my daughter happy birthday? And they killed it. Oh, and my we goodness. And filmed it, right? And so, but again, that's a cool factor. So it is what he was talking about. You know, it is, isn't it funny how music like that and people who are gifted on the spot to be able to sing like that, I bet you that that atmosphere completely changed with not just the singers and your family, but everyone that was within earshot. They had to really love that. No, it was a, well, it's what Josh talked about. It was a cool New York moment that we're never going to forget. And probably you're right. Even people that were sitting there. Yeah, they'll never forget it It was a cool moment. Well, Mike, as always, thanks for being here Mm -hmm. with me. I appreciate it. Um, This has been John Crossman with Mike Gillen. This is the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. This has been the Crossman Conversation CEO Edition with your host, John Crossman. Tune in next week for another talk with an experienced CEO that will help bring clarity to your business endeavors. The preceding was a Mark Radio production.